0: I'm not really interested in money at all like I, I, th- I think I'm
1: interested in freedom. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taren Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with Mike Mortlock, the Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. You'll hear how he transitioned from the country life to the city life, how he became interested in property during his university years and the events that unfolded after purchasing his first property and much much more. We start off by hearing about what Mike Mortlock's day-to-day role is.
0: I'm the Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, so um, I guess my background is uh, I'm a little freckled kid from country New South Wales, moved to sort of as big a smoke as, as as I could stomach to Newcastle when I was about 16 or 17. And yeah, I guess the day-to-day is, is running the, the MCG Quantity Surveyors team specifically on the on the tax side. That's my specialty with my business partner, Marty, who's more on the traditional sort of estimating side
1: as the managing director of MCG Quantity Surveyors he goes on to explain how the name of the business came about and what it stands for
0: it's the worst story honestly and you know and and it's kind of it's painful too cuz you get people ringing up saying i left my hat there i'm like you didn't leave it here you're talking about the MCG the cricket ground right so the the actual name of the company is M Consulting Group like the letter M cuz we thought oh you know that's like bond is like the BM bmw m sport i'm mark he uh i'm mike i don't even know my name i'm mike he's marty you know so there's like i'm mike more mm you know like so it's just like m consulting group because we thought like you know maybe we'll do something else we don't just want to be talking about our specialty and then m consulting group is mcg so it's mcg quantity surveyors i wish it was a better story honestly
1: luckily it's not in the mcg that we're getting confused about so-
0: Yeah, I tell you what, though, they are very difficult to out SEO. If you search MCG, you're not going to find us.
1: Mortlock delves into what a typical day in his life
0: looks like. It's changed a lot since we started because in starting the business, we, we started from our, our bedroom. So, day one, I was doing everything um, but now, you know, it's more the ivory tower stuff. It's no real work, you know, it's,
1: <laughs> it's for all your workers.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got the easy job. I mean, it, it's mostly just kind of overseeing things from from a strategy point of view relationship building and, and media and blogging and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, just just what you would expect of a, of a small business that's um, you know trying to grow and, and looking after the team and the relationships we've got with people that um, put their support in us.
1: He goes on to share how he initially started MCG quantity surveys.
0: I got to the point where there wasn't really sort of much further that I could go in that business. The the guys that started it, um, they've sort of since left, but at that time they were sort of beginning their transition to leaving the business. The, you know, I, I would ask a question and we're like, oh, one of the directors in the south of France, the other one's in Bali, so we've got to wait till they come back to get an answer. I'm like... Uh, you know, and 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 there was a level of management above me, but there was no way for me to sort of make myself known to sort of progress. So I kind of thought, I've learned everything that I could here. There, there were certain parts about the culture that changed over the years, which, um, you know, I, I didn't enjoy. I had more fun in the beginning and I just hated being stale and I hated being bored. Um, so, so I left there, got a consulting gig in the rail industry, just like to pay the bills, and then sort of started building the systems that I needed uh, to start the, the business with with my business partner Marty, and we just kind of went from there.
1: Fantastic! And how long has it been running for now?
0: 2011 we started, so we're yeah we're coming up to to ten years.
1: I have seen your your practice for quite a while, actually. I, I mean, when I first started in property, I did see your brand around a, a while, you know, with all the other quantity surveyors. And there's not that many in the market, actually. You know, it's it's mostly you guys at the top too.
0: We're definitely not the the biggest. I think, depending on who you talk to, we might be, you know, some one of the more prolific from a content point of view so easy to see us around and, and we definitely try and do that we're trying to 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 lead from the front um whilst we might not be the biggest we kind of think that you know leading from the front is, is more about the initiatives that we're doing you know like industry first data releases and education and all that sort of stuff so yeah we're we're having we're having a lot of fun we're really enjoying it and yeah there's there's a bit of competition out there and there's a few new players in the marketplace but um yeah, we're, we've we've got our own little niche, and yeah, we're happy with it.
1: Before delving more into the property side of things, Motlock shares a bit about his upbringing.
0: I was born in in uh, Penrith, and I left when I was two. Um, my parents brought me. That wasn't sort of a solo trip, of course. Um, and I moved to Yeron Creek, which is, which is such a small town that it shouldn't even really exist. It's, it's basically two tumbleweeds bumping together, and that's the town. Um, it's sort of near Wagga Wagga, um, and so I went to primary school there, so from, from 2 to about 11. I was elected uh, the primary school captain at the end of Year 5, just as we had to leave. So I never served a day in office, I like to say. I got the badge. They did give me the school captain's badge, but I never actually got to do it. So I then moved to Griffith, which interestingly, both those places are, you know, within about 200K of your first investment in West Wylong. Um, And in that area of the world, 200k is just kind of like a milk run, you know, like that's not a big distance.
1: Very true. I remember when I went out towards that way, I was like, oh gosh, it's just space after space.
0: It's just flat. It's just flat. Yeah. And and yeah, so I'm in Wagga, um, Griffith, similar sort of places and then moved to a place called Caves Beach, um, which is sort of between Newcastle and the Central Coast. Uh, when I was about 16, and I've I've hovered around the same sort of Lake Macquarie, Newcastle area ever since.
1: He explains the reason why his parents decided to move to a different location during his younger years. The
0: reason for going to the to the country to begin with is my parents thought that would be a great place to to start a family, um, and then moving from Wagga to Griffith was my old man getting a, a different job in the in the company that he was working for, and then yeah, basically we moved um, we moved to the coast because I had a lot of health issues growing up. I had some chemical sensitivities and had chronic fatigue syndrome, um, and. You know, it's the sort of place where a dust storm could nearly take your life away because dust isn't—it's not like the normal dust that you would see in a city, and you know, and the crop dusters would spray over the top of your head, and it just kind of wasn't—it wasn't my jam. <laughs> my body was not really enjoying it, so we, you know, we moved to the coast, sea breeze, and you know, I, I think. At, I remember at the time, my sister was furious at me leaving all of her friends and now I sort of make fun of her saying like, you you could be living there still right now and she's like, oh, thank God for that.
1: He shares whether the move to the coast benefited his health problems and was the reason why he stayed there for a long time.
0: I don't know necessarily that if it's the reason why I've, I've stayed there Like from a health point of view. Um, my health sort of started to, to get pretty well once I became sort of like a, a later teenager or young adult. Um, but, yeah, like it, it, made, it made a big difference. And, you know, honestly, moving from the country to the coast, like there's something about the coast now. Like I would feel like psychologically sort of pervaded in a way if I wasn't near the ocean. Now I might only dunk myself in it once every three years but just just knowing that I could go there this afternoon just makes me makes me feel feel nice.
1: It's a completely different uh, perspective. It, it's just nicer to be next to the water. I, I used to live where my parents used to live um, by the water as well, and it's just nice to wake up and look out and go, "Wow, this is fresh air and water and so forth like that." Compared to being in the suburbs, which is I don't mind that. It's great for family and stuff like that. But it is becoming very very um. I guess dense out this way, you know, with all the suburbs and so many buildings and so forth. So it's yeah, different lifestyle altogether.
0: Lake Macquarie is great because I mean, it's compared to, to Sydney, which is where most of I guess our business is in Sydney. I'm like we probably do more in in Brisbane and Melbourne individually than we do like in the Newcastle area. It just happens to be where we live. But you know, property is is cheap. It's it's getting it's getting up there, but you can buy a, a place that's two or three times the size as you could in a, in a similar suburb of Sydney. And, you know, like for, for someone who is kind of like a country kid at heart, this is like all you need. Like if, if I feel like Ethiopian tonight, I can get it, you know. That doesn't happen when you live in Griffith. It's like do you want fish and chips or do we just get the sausages?
1: Mortlock shares how he adapted to the change of living in the country to then the city.
0: It was a huge culture shock, but the, the 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 entity that suffered the most was our our Kelpie named Sam. He he went from fifty acres to you know seven hundred and twenty square meters, and uh, he you know he struggled more than anybody. Um, that was a bit sad, so we had to make sure we took him on lots of adventures. Um, but yeah, look, it, it was a massive culture shock, and and it wasn't it wasn't just you know. Moving from the wide open spaces to to more of like a suburban style setup, it was, it was also kind of like the people. Like I remember in high school, people getting teased for being poor. And when I went to high school in a place called Swansea, um, one of the guys I was friends with, Tim, people used to pay him out for for being rich. It's like, oh, your dad's Microsoft shares must be going really well. And I'm like, this is the complete opposite. Like what? What is happening? I, I don't know. What is right and what's wrong now? Being rich or poor or something. I I guess, you know, kids try to pick on you for whatever they can. But, yeah, it's just a different mindset. Like, it was more about wealth in the country than it was the city. That that one just took me by surprise.
1: It is a complete opposite. So, people in the country were, were talking more about wealth than they were in the city. <laughs> that is completely, uh, yeah, surprise to me. I, I would not have ever expected that to hear that from... <laughs>
0: Another thing with, with being in Griffith, too, is, is like I, I've sort of, you know, got the privileged sort of background of being sort of like the most anonymous person on earth, really. Like I'm kind of like Engri- English, Irish stock, you know, typical white dude. But in, in Griffith, I was kind of like a minority because most people were Italian. And that was kind of like weird because I realised that oh no wait like here in, in in Swansea like there's no Italian people like and that and that was it took us to some some I guess getting used to.
1: Reflecting on when he finished high school, he shares whether he continued studying or delved into the workforce.
0: When I did year eleven and twelve at high school, I did um, part time, so I was doing three subjects of the six year eleven, and then three subjects of the six year twelve. Um, that, and that was really just a, just a health reason, um, to reduce that study load, which like I look back and and have sort of regrets on that. I, I wish that never happened. So what actually happened then is I hadn't finished the HSC when I was supposed to in 2000 or whatever it was. So I ended up going to TAFE to finish the HSC in two years. So I did the three subjects of year 11, um, and the three subjects of year 12 in one year somehow. And then it just so happened that uh the the HSC finished mid year and it's kind of like well you can't do nothing till the end of the year you don't sort of really have a plan like all I wanted to do growing up was to be a fighter pilot but with um with being on full-time medication it was just that there was no chance i mentioned my mate tim um, before he w- he was my sort of best mate growing up and he had epilepsy so we were both like in the garage doing flexed arm hangs trying to get the air force you know requirements but it was the saddest thing in the world because neither of us had a chance you cannot be an epileptic and be a fighter pilot and i you know i couldn't do it either so i i was pretty rudderless and and i kind of thought well you know i'll look at the stuff that the TAFE was off offering and I ended up doing uh, a real estate course. Now I know that you can sort of, it seems like you can do one um, in the weekend these days but I did, I did a diploma that actually took a year so it was like nine till three, four days a week or something and that was a year. So that was enough for me to be a licensee. Um, and so yeah, I, I just thought, well, all right, I'll go and do that because I sort of was interested in property. but. I'd love to say there was more strategy to it than that. It's it's embarrassing to admit, but like it was pretty rudderless.
1: Coming up after the break, we hear about how Mike Mortlock became more interested in property during his studies.
0: My motto was peas get degrees. But with the um, master of property, I was more sort of like 90, 90% plus average just because I was far more interested in it.
1: The first property he ever purchased?
0: I purchased my first property in a place called Waratah which is sort of like right near the Newcastle Uni area which has done like pretty well from a capital growth point of view for that reason.
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. reflects on what he did after completing his studies at TAFE.
0: I don't like to admit this um, but yeah, I I finished my my TAFE on a Friday and I started a real estate job on the Monday Um, and yeah, so I timed that like a champion. Um, I would have liked a couple of weeks off to be honest but you know, I I was kind of thinking all right, well, you know, I'm all grown up now, I better go and do something. Uh, And I had an illustrious I think 10-month real estate career. Um, I would say that I categorically failed um, really because I still am but back then definitely was uh, a, a very sort of paralyzed introvert. So like in, in running a, a business and, and doing, you know, podcasts and TV and stuff like that, you kind of have to you have to either get over it or you'll crash and burn. You know, you can't sort of go to someone and they say, you know, why should I work with you and you go, oh, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, but like I'm, I'm an introvert, in my own time I'll read a book and like to be left alone. But you can't be an introvert and be a really good real estate agent. I, I mean maybe there are some analytical people that people just kind of want to work with because that's who they are as well but it just didn't suit me at all and there were some aspects of it where I kind of thought like I don't think that's the right thing to do and then the boss would sort of say but like that's what I need you to do and I'm, like morally kind of thinking this is, this is a bit grim. So, I ended up thinking, I like property, what is kind of going to give me the property stuff that I like with none of the sales, people, all that sort of stuff and I ended up studying valuation. I went back to TAFE and I was studying at night school and I think my girlfriend at the time said like, you're a bum, how come you've got no money and I thought I better get a job or she's going to ditch me. she she's she's not my wife at the moment but that's you know that's a side issue (laughs) I say at the moment like I'm going through wives, um and I um yeah so I was I was doing I was doing it at night school and I ended up getting a job um in a quantity surveying firm whilst I was doing the night school stuff and I got probably like Um, maybe about 75% through and they changed it and they were going all to online instead of the classroom stuff and I kind of was a bit lazy thinking, I don't know if I really want to do that. The quantity surveying firm convinced me to change over to a Bachelor of Construction Management and get credits for that. It turns out I got zero credits and had to start from scratch and I basically abandoned um, an advanced diploma of real estate being a valuer and then I've gone back and I've done masters of property and I've done five-eighths of that which is again like deferred because I've been busy the the business got busy so I've twice tried to be a qualified valuer and (laughs) haven't quite got there but I'm, I'm sure I'll go back and do the masters I've only got three subjects to go
1: I was gonna say third time lucky, I'm pretty sure you'll finish it.
0: <laughs> you'll get that. I think I started that in 2011 or something. Um, and I and it's funny, like I, I I didn't do terribly well in the Bachelor of Construction Management. You know, my motto was peas get degrees. But with the um, Master of Property, I was more sort of like 90, 90% plus average just because I was far more interested in it. It was much more sort of valuation economics like property economics style the nuts and bolts construction like this is the this is kind of the thermal mass of hebel you know like i just couldn't care less
1: that is very technical i haven't even heard about i don't even know what property economics would be about i thought it would just be you know the the look and and working out the big macro economy of, of property but obviously it's a lot more detail than that.
0: The construction management degree certainly was but I mean based on what I do today, I mean we, we have to sort of estimate during the, doing the tax depreciation sort of things but really like all of the main sort of information that I've got under my sort of um, fast growing grey hair um, is, is outside of the degree. I mean it's giving me the estimating fundamentals but I learned nothing about tax depreciation during that construction management degree which is, which is a bit weird. To, like that's my qualification but a big chunk of it is just like you couldn't get it there.
1: The managing director goes on to talk about the stage where he decided to delve into quantity surveying.
0: I was studying a Bachelor of Construction Management while I was working for a quantity surveying firm. Um, so there was a bunch of us doing that degree at the same time. So that was good. We had a bit of camaraderie. Um, so we were we were all pretty much doing full time work and full time study loads. So that was pretty that was pretty epic. But you know, like. Um, I didn't have much else going on so it was just, you know, smash it out sort of thing. And I was thinking like, if I don't get a uni degree now, it'll never happen. And I was lamenting not going straight to uni after, um, you know, year 11 and 12 straight away. So, yeah, got, got that done and and then, yeah, worked with that business and, and ended up being one of the sort of co-managers of the of the tax team. Um, and then, yeah, learnt my trade craft and that's when I sort of made the, the decision to to move on with that arrogant notion that I thought I could do it better, you know.
1: And you have, you know, I think you've done very, very well, especially you know for that time because a lot of businesses usually for the first two or three years when they first start don't make it. So you've already passed that stage, and you guys are almost what a decade into business, so that's great news.
0: I can remember, like I think it cost me and and Marty about seven thousand dollars each to start the business. So, you know, massive capital investment and I can remember when we first like got that back uh, after a week or month or whatever, I'm like, yes, like milestone one hit. I haven't sunk money into a business that died and then it just kind of incrementally went from there with a few funny things along the way.
1: Delving into this property investing journey... He goes on to talk about the first property he ever purchased.
0: I purchased my first property in a place called Waratah which is sort of like right near the Newcastle Uni area which has done like pretty well from a capital growth point of view for that reason. It's about, uh, depends on the traffic, it used to be a $10 cab fare to any restaurant in in Newcastle, but now I've got an index for, I think it might be 20 now. It's, you know, like it, under normal traffic traffic circumstances, it's 10 or 15 minutes sort of into the CBD. Um, and that was a place that I, I knew I wanted to get into into property. I ended up sort of, that was the principal place of residence, but also I rented out um, the front section of it. So it was a two-bedroom place um, that I converted into Three better, and I was I was kind of I wouldn't say there was much sophistication going into that investment property, but I was interested in the stuff that I learned in in valuation, like the highest and best use uh, about you know comparable sales. Like if you're comparing two betters to three betters, and you know the three betters are worth an extra eighty grand. Well, if I can make my two into three for ten or twelve grand, then. Some, that's that's maybe that's going to work, right? So, yeah. So I was living with a flatmate, and I bought that house, um, and basically picked up the keys and said, "All right, I'm off to Thailand for 14 days," and let him deal with like a rat's nest that was found in the backyard, like carpet that was probably a breach of his human rights. It was it was pretty rough.
1: Okay, go tell me about this story. This is this is getting interesting.
0: Well, I just kind of thought I'd never really bought anything much before, but like in that week, um, you know, I basically bought a holiday to Thailand, um, wrote off a ten thousand dollar car because my insurance um, had lapsed. I missed out on that, so basically just set five to ten grand. So you know this is not an inspirational financial story if you haven't got that already um, and yeah and bought this property which i think i paid two, 230 grand it was a, it was a two bed that had a weird sort of setup that i could i knew i could turn it into three but i'd have to cut a hole in sort of like the front wall which was um which was actually external so at the beginning um, my flatmate agreed to sort of move with me into this new place and i he just ended up paying the same rent that we were both sort of sharing at this other place. And, yeah, in fairness to him, um, that probably was not fair. It was a bit of a step back. And I thought, oh, the house is right. But when I got back, he's like, dude, you don't know what I've had to deal with while you've been, you know, off in, off in Thailand. And I'm like, oh, well, some of the, like the days we had to be in the back of a truck on a dirt road. And he's like, no, don't even. <laughs> don't even. <laughs>
1: He shares what happened at that particular point with his roommate and whether they resolved the tension
0: we're still mates um he ended up having what i can only describe as an illegal bonfire in the backyard to get rid of the jungle and the rat's nest that was in some sort of you know concrete barbecue thing um and yeah like thankfully he was there looking after that he had a few parties with his mates and you know there were a few cans lying around when i got back but you know i kind of thought on balance like you do whatever you like Like, just just look
1: after
0: the place yeah that's true yeah and then like he he him and I were um, met because we were both uh, we were both dating uh, sisters. Um, so me? I was <laughs> Yeah. So I've got to clarify that because I don't want it to sound like oh gee, like this is really he really is from the country. I don't mean no one was related in this story apart from the sisters. So there was an older and a younger sister, and he was dating the younger sister, and I was dating the older sister. And we met through that and ended up living together and that was kind of cool because, you know, we all had sort of stuff in common. Um, I um, I sort of was stopped going out with the older sister sort of not long after buying that house. Maybe it was the rats. I don't know. Chicks don't really dig it. I guess that's what I learned. Um <laughs> I think it might have been a little bit before actually but uh, and and so his his girlfriend was coming over and at that time um, my two bedroom that I turned into three did have three bedrooms but it necessitated him coming through my bedroom to get to his bedroom so it was kind of like all sorts of weird like there was there was like an impromptu towel rail that we put up as a bit of a privacy barrier he really did put up with a lot i, I should probably go and drop off a bottle or something to
1: him. loving that story that is so hilarious <laughs> Our good friends you know always look out for each other so i'm pretty sure he sounds like a very good friend
0: for anyone that sort of looks at someone like me and thinks like the life is glamorous or anything like that. I don't know if anyone does that. Maybe just my mum. It's it's certainly like it's certainly pretty rough and ready. Uh, I, there was no silver spoon in the mouth, and um, yeah, whilst I'm you know comfortable now, it was um, definitely wasn't handed.
1: Mortlock reveals if he still owns that property today after a disastrous turn of events.
0: Oh, I wish I did. I still drive past it and I think oh, uh, no, I ended up selling that um, for I think it was around it was three fifty something. So it worked out about like an eight percent, eight odd percent return per year. So I mean that was pretty good, but I really wanted to keep it. Um, but I ended up purchasing a property with my wife, and by selling that, we could get a little bit further to what we wanted. In hindsight, it was probably a mistake, but uh, but I mean like there's there's sort of financial decisions and then there's life and i think like people people ring me up sometimes and say well what Investment property should I buy for tax depreciation? And I say, well, it's a is an apartment in a complex of six hundred with eight gyms and fourteen pools. And they're like, that sounds like a terrible investment. And I say, yes, it is. But that's not the question you asked me. You didn't say what's a good investment. So I'm like, don't do things just because of the tax reason, or don't don't do everything because of finances. So I mean, maybe that's my my excuse for that. But it,
1: it's the truth though, because we all are human and we have some form of emotional lifestyle choices that we make. The whole reason why we do invest into property is just a vehicle that to get to our lifestyle or the choices that we want in our life. You know, if, if we didn't do that, then what's the purpose of investing into property? Is it just to have more money sitting in the back? I don't think so.
0: I'm not really interested in money at all. Like I, I, th- I think I'm interested in freedom. Like Everything I own is kind of cheap and worn out. My one weakness is I do like um, European motor vehicles apart from that I'm like blemish free right um, you know and that doesn't make me a bad person that's just like a coincidence
1: Inspired by Mike Mortlock's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory where we'll hear about the moment where everything just clicked for him.
0: I haven't had any like real sort of Rubicon moments or transformative sort of things happen but one thing that I thought about um, was when I, I first discovered that there was a whole world out there that I didn't realize.
1: The reason why he started investing in property as well as building his business? The goal
0: really um, evolved to being more about the freedom, like I mentioned before, um, just the ability to do anything that that I want to do as a passion project and and be able to provide for, for the family as well.
1: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.